When I was a child, I loved church, specifically First United Methodist Church of Jamestown, North Dakota, where I grew up and I belonged. I loved passing the candlelight on Christmas Eve, singing Joy is Like the Rain with the children's choir, listening to our pastor's wife play the pipe organ, and having Kool-Aid and cookies after Sunday school before church. I loved my Sunday school classes, taught by Mr. Fluth and Mrs. Eastburn, greeting my parents' friends, and I loved feeling so very loved. Another thing I loved about church, and this isn't going to be a surprise to you, was going to Camp Wesley Acres in Daisy, that's D-A-Z-E-Y, North Dakota, about 35 miles from my home. It was the highlight of every summer from third grade on. I loved making new friends, sleeping in the cabins, and eating in the big dining hall. I loved canoeing and swimming and campfires up on the hill. I loved taking care of my bunk, fixing my own hair, and brushing my teeth without being told. I loved it all. One of the things I loved the very most about camp was getting to hang out with the pastors in residence. We got to play Foursquare with them, ask them all kinds of crazy questions during Bible study, and sit with them at lunch. And it was like they were my friends. And that made me feel really special and important. By the time I was in junior high, annual conference was held at my church, and I got to be a page, and I knew a lot of those pastors, even a couple of women. And I thought that was really cool. My freshman year at Westmark College, I thought it would be the coolest thing ever to be a camp counselor that summer. And I was right. It was the coolest thing ever. To be in charge of a cabin full of little kids, to teach them about Jesus and help them find Bible verses, and to sneak out of the cabin at night with my co-counselors and with those very same pastors to sneak a coat. So when I transferred to the University of North Dakota my sophomore year, it was pretty cool that one of them, Reverend Bill Bates, invited me to be a youth counselor at his church. I thought I'd be very busy studying accounting and chasing boys and trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my, work, my life. But yeah, I could be a youth counselor. That would be cool. So I said yes. And it was cool, I'm sure, but I don't remember much about it. It turned out that I was incredibly lonely that year. I missed my little college and all of my new friends. As a transfer student living off campus, I had a hard time meeting people, and I felt pretty invisible in those classes of 100 when at my little college, I'd known everyone by their first name in all of my classes, including the professors. I remember praying and reading the Bible a lot that year, asking God, what was God's will for my life? Sundays were the best days when I went to church and youth group. I remember Reverend Bates pulling me aside one time, though, and asking me, hey, have you ever thought about going into the ministry? You have some really special gifts, and you could really make a difference in people's lives in the church. What do you think? What? Hmm, mostly I thought he was crazy. I mean, work in the church? Not me. I had my life all planned out. I was going to be a CPA like Mike Warren, 
marry some cute boy right out of college, and then maybe go to church, but work in the church? Like as a career? No way. I was way too cool for that. Well, you know the saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Reverend Bates just wouldn't stop talking with me about how the church needed gifted, capable, faithful people like me. And honestly, I couldn't stop thinking about it and asking God if that was for real. It was like a recording playing in my head that just wouldn't go away. Those summers back at Wesley Acres, 1 Corinthians 12 had often been a part of our teachings. I didn't know much about Paul or the epistles or the Holy Spirit then, but the words and images about being a part of God's body spoke to me and helped me discern who I was and who God was calling me to be. Eventually, I understood that it was real, and I transferred back to my little Methodist college to get a degree in Christian education so I could use my gifts, maybe as a youth director or a camp manager, all because that one person had a conversation with me about my gifts. Those words of Paul's still have a great deal of meaning today, but sometimes we dismiss them or think they don't really apply to us, maybe just to some of us, but not me. I was excited when Reverend Ward asked me to preach on this passage because I do think it's very important to us as members of the church. In fact, I might call chapters 11, 12, and 13 of 1 Corinthians a Pauline trifecta because they are surely some of Paul's most known and quoted writings. Chapter 11 gives us authorization for the most sacred act of worship, Holy Communion. The phrase, the body of Christ, is used again and again in chapter 11 as a metaphor of the church. And that continues on into chapter 12, where Paul constructs one of the most famous pictures of the unity of the church ever written based on the parts of the body. And then chapter 13, the love chapter. You've heard it at a wedding. It extols God's love as the only thing which can bind the church together in perfect unity. The books we know as 1st and 2nd Corinthians were actually letters written by the Apostle Paul to one of his fledgling churches. In fact, 22 of the 36 New Testament books aren't books at all, but letters composed by Paul or by one of the students writing in his name. Adam Hamilton says, when you read one of Paul's letters, or any other New Testament letter, you're actually reading someone else's mail. In Inspired, the last book written by Rachel Held Evans, she talks about how Paul probably never imagined his letters would be deemed as scripture and speak, for Christ speak to Christians for thousands of years, nor did the recipients of his letters. As 21st century Christians, we forget about this, and we read Paul's letters as if they are the gospel truth written to us and for us to address the concerns of our very complex modern world, when in fact they are more of a reflection of the cultural norms some 2,000 years ago. These three chapters are a little more timeless. 
They're still very relatable to our faith and our daily lives, and they can speak to us regardless of our age. Paul's letters were generally written to address a particular problem in a congregation. Chapters 11 through 13 in 1 Corinthians are the longest and most sustained response to any such church problem in Paul's letters, which gives you a hint to the scope of the conflict and the importance of his response. In chapter 11, Paul addresses the behaviors of some people in worship, and he continues to write about that in chapter 12. Apparently, the Corinthian worship services had gotten a bit chaotic, with some people exercising rather spectacular gifts, which led to discomfort and conflict within the church body. So Paul writes about a way to worship with a diversity of gifts within the unity of the body of believers. It's curious, though. Paul gave at least three different lists of gifts of the Spirit in his letters. One in 1 Corinthians, another one in Ephesians 4, and yet another one in Romans 12, plus a list of the gifts of the Spirit in Galatians 5. In Corinthians, Romans, and Ephesians, he uses the Greek word charismata, verified by my favorite Greek scholar, from which we get the word charismatic to signify that all of these different gifts come from the Holy Spirit. All these lists were sort of confusing to me. Maybe I had the gift of knowledge mentioned in 1 Corinthians, or the gift of teaching mentioned in Ephesians and Romans. Was that okay to have gifts from different lists? I wondered which ones were the real spiritual gifts, and I wanted to understand more. Then I read a little book entitled The Eighth Day of Creation, written back in the 1970s by Elizabeth O'Connor. The title is taken from a quote by a Russian philosopher, Nicholas Berdiev, who said, Creativeness in the world is, as it were, the eighth day of creation. In other words, God created for six days and rested on the seventh, then turned his creative spirit loose with gifts on us. O'Connor encourages us to discover our own creativity and our own gifts and join with God in his creativity. She defines the church as a fellowship of those that share in God's continuing creation, nurture, and renewal of the world. O'Connor suggests that when we talk about being our authentic selves, we're really talking about using our gifts. We ask to know God's will for our lives without seeing that God's will is written into our very beings. And our gifts is a blueprint or a map that gives us direction in how we are to serve God, the church, and one another. Our obedience and surrender to God are in a large part obedience and surrender to our gifts. Thus, using our creative gifts brings about the eighth day of creation. It's not only important that we recognize our gifts, it's just as important that we own up to them rather than hide them or dismiss them out of false modesty. Then we find the best way of giving those gifts back to God 
the church, and our community. Identifying our gifts can be kind of scary because what follows is responsibility and sacrifice. But this is our calling, our vocation as Christ followers, to love sacrificially as Christ loved. Pursuing one gifts, one's gifts is sacred work that can begin in childhood and continue through all of life. Gifts and talents left undeveloped or unexpressed can lead to frustration and unhappiness. When we open ourselves up to our gifts, God can work through us and use us to God's glory. Bertiev believed that what we do between Sundays, at home, at work, and in our free time, is truly our act of worship in response to God's call to create. One night when I was in graduate school babysitting Lenore Culbertson's little boys, I remember asking her about answering God's call. She replied, it's like having children. You shouldn't do it unless you absolutely have to. Now at that time, I understood her to only be talking about going into full-time ministry. Fast forward through 35 years in the church, and my understanding and appreciation of spiritual gifts has really expanded. Now I believe that if we are all truly following Christ and seeking God's will for our lives, we should all feel so compelled to service, whatever it may be. Sure, the gifts of wisdom and faith and healing are extraordinary, and we see God's spirit at work in them. But if we back up a few verses before the list of gifts, Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, I'm not sure Paul meant for any of his lists of gifts, that's hard to say, to be comprehensive. Perhaps we do the Holy Spirit a disservice when we only define these few gifts as gifts of the Spirit. Where is musicianship mentioned? Or ministry to the poor? Or the ability to woo people to study the Bible? I'm pretty sure Patty Dawes has more woo in her little finger than anyone I've ever met, and it surely is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So while I don't disagree with Paul, I do take issue with the narrow way we often interpret this passage. Consider the incredible spectrum of gifts and talent that are present within this body of Christ and how amazing it is when those gifts are employed for the betterment of the whole church. Exercising our gifts is reciprocal. We experience God's love through God's gifts and creativity in all of creation and through the sacrifice of Christ. And we are asked to mirror God's love, creativity, and sacrifice in return. And the way we do that is through our gifts. Here are a few gifts on my list that maybe Paul didn't have time to mention. Forgiveness. Those people who embody the grace of Christ and never hold a grudge regardless of what stupid thing you might say or do. They are truly a gift. Presence. Those persons for whom just being near them 
makes you feel like you've received a hug from God. I hope you have that kind of person in your life. I don't even know what the next gift is called. Maybe industry? I would define it as the opportunity and ability to make a good amount of money and then give large sums to the church. That gift makes a huge difference in the church and thus in our community of faith. What about the gift of understanding how things work? How could we have a church without the Steve Lunds and the Fred Daniels of the world who can fix anything and everything? What an incredible gift to the church. Hospitality is another one. Do you know that a certain person comes to the church every week or so and makes beautiful little floral arrangements for the tables in the narthex? That person's love for the church spills out in all sorts of beautiful, quiet, welcoming ways week after week. What about the gift of compassion? Like when someone gives you a handful of Kroger cards right before Christmas and says, could you just pass these along to some people who need them? And you do it, and it makes their Christmas. Compassion is a spiritual gift. Listening, both listening to God and listening to others. When someone listens to me with an open heart, I am deeply blessed. Thank God for the gift of listening. What if your gift is simply the story of your life experience? Whether you be a woman who has survived breast cancer, a man who has been divorced or lost his spouse, or a person who's been incarcerated and wants to give back. When we share our stories with others and support those facing similar situations, it's a wonderful gift. Or that one person who simply says, can I do that for you? Could I organize those supplies for Sunday school? Could I file that music, clean out your desk drawer, teach that class, I'd be glad to do that. These are the best. It's hard to express how much these gifts of time and service mean, not just to busy leaders, but to the church as a whole. I could go on sharing with you the usual and unusual gifts and talents that people in our congregation possess. When our gifts are shared, incredible things happen blessings that sometimes feel like miracles. Gifts given and received in love are, God's, are gifts of God's spirit that help us experience the love of Christ. And sadly, when those gifts are not shared, whether it be out of fear or lack of commitment or imagination, we all miss out and the church suffers. What if an eighth day of creation could be realized among us here at St. Mark's? Brothers and sisters, the scriptures we read in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and Romans are nothing less than spiritual dynamite. If we take them seriously and put our gifts and abilities into action here at the church, we will see a renewal of our church that releases a new flame of the Holy Spirit. This spirit can lead our church to be an even greater gift-bearing, gift-evoking community of faith, calling men, women, children, and youth 
into greater service of Christ and his gospel. This is our calling. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.